Well, did you know we've got nine bonus podcasts which are only available to members at the moment? Great to have so many members jumping on board at relaxrunning.com slash join. You're going to get insight to a whole heap of bonus podcast content behind the scenes. Uh, you'll, you'll, I think the really good part of it is we're getting together a video library and uh, we've got some physios in there running us through some sessions to activate muscular imbalances and weaknesses which can lead to injuries and just gradually building up that video library. So we're, we're creating it to be a, a, a one-stop shop for distance runners to improve their game. So take advantage of that $5 a month option while it's still around, relaxrunning.com slash join. Hey, today we, we do a little pivot and jump out of Australia over to the UK to someone I'd actually never met, Adele Tracy, before. Now, if you never heard of her, she's a, she's a 159, 800-meter runner, which for anyone in the athletics world just understands that that's a, that's a freakish kind of time. She's got some serious speed, and uh, it, was really, it was a really fun conversation. I love sitting down with her. It was funny. Halfway through the conversation, I thought, man, if there's one thing, a, a pretty, I guess you'd say, Aussie bloke shouldn't spend too much time doing is comparing his accent to like a pretty nice accent straight out of the UK I don't know what it is but my my wife and I were listening back to this audio and and she confirmed that my accent is is full-blown bogan in comparison it's like you know you know a dog is like it was originally a wolf and somehow it, it got to a French bulldog I hear I hear Adele speak and I'm like okay that's what an accent was was supposed to sound like and then I hear my voice I go man something Something's not quite right there. <laughs> it was anyway. So I've I've been judging myself harshly for it, and now I've pointed it out. You're going to notice it big time. But hey, she's a pleasure to listen to. I hope you can tolerate my voice asking the questions. It was also her her birthday. So if you're listening to this, make sure you reach out and offer a happy belated. I think it was 27th birthday, based on World Athletics and her date of birth. 27th. Don't say 27th in case I'm wrong. You look you look like you weren't paying attention. Uh, Hey, she found her tortoise, which is a funny story, on her birthday. So, hey, we cover all things, training, strength, recovery, mindset, smiling 600 metres into an 800 metre race and also recovering <laughs> her tortoise. Just listen, it'll make sense soon. Adele was a was a privilege to talk to and uh, really looking forward to getting her on board again in the future. So, really hope you enjoy this one. Make sure you, you shoot her some love on, on social media and, uh, hey, enjoy. Beautiful, beautiful. Which uh, which part of of London are you in? Are you are you smack being in the city there? My wife and I used to live in um in Tufnell Park, which is just a couple of stops up from Camden Town. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, I'm really not in central at all. I I always say London, but really we live um just out on the outskirts um in Tellington. Um, so there's there's like actually a big community of runners there. So um we all kind of train at St Mary's University, and there's Richmond Park and Bushy Park, which is like amazing to to run in. So um I think actually um uh, Melbourne Track Club they come over like every summer. So um it's a great it's a great place to live and, and train. Yeah, you're right. Actually, I, as soon as you said Teddington, it just it sparks the the running part of my mind because so many athletes from here love 
leaving Australia and going over there. And is is Richmond Park the the one you have so many deer running around? It's like a beautiful, massive park. I think I think I've done some walks around there when I was living there. Yeah, yeah. So Richmond um, is the bigger park, and then there's also Bushy Park as well, which has deer in it too. Um, and um, Bushy Park's like closer to Teddington, but Richmond, obviously, Richmond Park's close to Richmond. So yeah, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. When I was there, I was doing most of my running around. I'm pretty sure this could be a ridiculous question because it's such a big park. But do you know Hampstead Heath? Is that a really popular park over there? I did so many laps just walking around and, and trying to convince myself I was a, a local in London. Um, but I, I didn't get as I didn't get out to sort of Teddington or or Richmond as much as I would have liked to. If I was competing as a runner, I'm sure I would have. But you're doing a lot of your training there, are you? Yeah, so I'm predominantly based there, and I've been there probably about. Six, seven almost seven years yeah so um I just changed my coaches at St Mary's University um and um yeah been there ever since beautiful who are you who are you being coached by at the moment I'm coached by Craig Winrow um he used to be um quite a good 800 meter international himself um I think he went to the Olympics in hmm actually can't remember when <laughs> that's awful I should I should know that um <laughs> and he's he's coached um quite a few um um, 800 and 1500 meter runners um Ross Murray is my old housemate um he used to coach and he actually um was quite involved with Nick Bedeau and and uh Melbourne Track Club so um that's how, kind of how where the connection is I guess it's funny isn't it like it's such a small world when you're uh, even outside the running community but once you speak to a runner who's running it at your level anywhere around the world you've always got a few mutual connections so you like have you you spent a little bit of time with the Melbourne crew at all like when they come over there are you are you running around a bit I'm trying to rack my mind for who sort of more your 800 1500 meter runners from Australia maybe like Lyndon Hall yeah so Lou Lyndon she um she's in Flagstaff at the same time as us um one year actually and she's really lovely so yeah I've hung out with a couple of them I um I think just when like when we've been at the track together like we're all on the track at the same time everyone goes like Tuesday Thursday Saturday sort of thing so um and then obviously Roscoe um being um with Nick Bideau, like kind of a couple of friends and mutual so yeah that's right actually Roscoe I was trying to figure out how I, I knew his name but he's a he ran at the 2012 Olympics didn't he Roscoe Jammin I reckon was his Instagram name I, <laughs> I, I could hear some bell in the back of my mind going off like I know this bloke but uh <laughs> but I haven't seen him running around for a little while he's one of your training partners eh? Yeah, so so Ross Murray, um, yeah, he he's a fifteen hundred meter runner and he competed at the uh, Olympics in twenty twelve. But um, I've literally lived. I mean, I don't live with him anymore. But um, we were housemates for like three or four years. Um, he used to live like just near St Mary's. There's a thing called the Athlete House. Um, he used to be a half funded by London Marathon, and um, I lived with him there. And um, yeah, he's hilarious. He's so good. Um, <laughs> he's actually got a podcast as well. So yeah, he's a pretty cool guy. Oh, does he? What's he doing? A running podcast as well yeah yeah so I think um it's called that running podcast yeah yeah beautiful all right I'll have to um it's <laughs> funny like before I got involved in the podcasting scene I had no idea how many uh good podcasts there are out there he's just got a new subscriber no doubt about it how um how are things over in the UK at the moment I was saying to you in the email the other day that in Melbourne we're, we're lucky enough that things have started to calm down a little bit and we've been able to get back out and about but uh every second news report is about how much you guys have been been whacked and I know it's funny when you speak about like the running side of things when you're when you're speaking about something like what's going on over there but it obviously has a big impact on the way people are interacting communicating and and, and training I'm sure has been impacted for you has it like what's the what's the situation with you at the moment yeah so what just before lockdown um 
we kind of like knew that gyms were likely to shut just because I mean they're not the most hygienic environments at the best of times so just assumed that was the next step that would happen so we actually moved um, to my boyfriend's parents house in Gloucestershire so that's where I am now and I've been here for 10 weeks um, because they've got a tiny little gym they've got a treadmill and um, a couple of weights and stuff so I was like at least I know I can keep myself conditioned um, and it's been really lovely actually just to be in the countryside kind of away from London where um, a lot of stuff was going on um but yeah I think I mean in terms of the actual whole lockdown um I feel like it's been pretty good for me in terms of um you know I haven't had any anything affect me um personally um so we've just been kind of tried to carry on as normal staying at home as much as possible obviously but um you know doing hill reps instead of you know you can't get on track at the moment so that's kind of limiting but I think it is just constantly adapting um I think initially when obviously we didn't know the Olympics wasn't going to go ahead um that was quite a stressful period because obviously you're trying to keep um going as best you can and keep as fit as possible but um when you haven't got a track to run on or a gym or a physio that you can see um that's obviously really difficult and then obviously when we found out that the Olympics were postponed as a slight relief because, um, yeah, I think, you know, the world, the world is needing to heal right now and, and sport is not a priority. Mm. Um, everyone's going to be in different circumstances. Um, so I think it was definitely the right decision. Um, so, yeah, just trying to get um, everything done. You know, we can we can exercise as much as we like now. We've got unlimited exercise. So <laughs> I've been making the most of it. My coach has been setting me um, double runs again. So, yeah, just trying to... Um, keep keep that normality and I think that's actually something that's been really useful during this time like when you've got all these crazy things that are happening and it's such a you know being in a pandemic you just don't realize um it just feel it doesn't feel real mm. what's going on um having something like running that regular routine um has actually been really really useful yeah it'd be interesting um it's been interesting over here obviously because we're, we're so separated to the rest of the world, it was interesting just sort of watching it start to make its way. And we sort of knew that, that things were going to hit us really soon. But our government, they, they sort of went into lockdown real quick and uh, maybe called things quite early. And I think everyone has maybe been a little bit apathetic. Uh, maybe not apathetic is the right word, but just looking at, at how well they've done over here, everyone started to take it a little bit less seriously. But I, I know I've, I've looked at some of the numbers and things in in London has it been a has it been a real whack to the morale am, uh, amongst Londoners or like what's the sort of vibe going on over there at the moment because it's funny when I first moved to London I was smack bang in the city and uh, a couple of a couple of Londoners some locals who had spent some time in Australia said to me oh you're going to find us so grumpy and so gloomy and I I don't know if he tainted my perspective but um catching the subway every day I was thinking man I don't know if it's just here because I started to get to the countryside and I was like these people are are lovely so I think from an outsider's perspective I, I love listening to you guys talk about how it's a it's a gloomy or people are just in the zone but I, I, I think when you look back at um like the big historical moments in London people have a real good reputation of banding together and um almost using it as a as a uniting thing has it been like that in any sense or yeah I mean I'm we obviously haven't been in London the, the whole the whole of the last 10 weeks but I definitely feel like you know everyone feels like they're in it together and we've had the clapping for the nhs so we every night um every uh, thursday at 8 p.m we all go out and we clap and it's been really nice actually people get their pots and pans out and um <laughs> yeah just just give a 
give a little bit of cheer and, and say thank you to them and all the carers and, and workers. But um, I I definitely know what you're talking about when you when when you say that sort of. I'll just like to clarify, they're not my words. I've completely stolen them from a local, so I'm not I'm not throwing rocks. No, honestly, like <laughs> my training partner is Irish, and um, I remember when she first came over, and I was like, oh, like people don't really talk to each other on the tube and stuff just so you know like because because I, I always think gosh it's so embarrassing that we're so I don't know um reserved in that sense um but she she always says no I don't I don't think that from like an outsider's perspective I just think you guys are really polite and I'm like oh, okay interesting <laughs> take on it but yeah like you say when 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 things um when things happen I think we are really good at coming together like for example the um London 2012 Olympics I remember being on the tube and actually that was an amazing time to like when you're commuting and chatting through with other people um you know that's probably the only time that I've actually spoken to other people that you just don't know on the tube because there's something that's going on in the country that's um you know everyone cares about yeah it's so true. And I, I laugh because I was thinking about the amount of time that I spent on the tube when I was over there. And there wasn't many people I was talking to either. So I think you put that tube in the middle of any big city and you're going to start painting a rip. When people are on their way to work at 7am in the morning, who wants to talk anyway? That's probably where you're getting this dodgy <laughs> reputation as Londoners. <laughs> have you, um, have you, like, uh, you mentioned it briefly before, just about the, the, the mindset and the headspace that you, you sort of felt as you were unsure about whether the Olympics were going to take place. And it's something I'm, I'm so interested in speaking to, to everyone who I have on the podcast at the moment about because it's, it's such a, um, it, like it's obviously such a unique experience that you can't really, you can't practice for, obviously, like it's a, a pandemic because it's just, I mean, it's so extreme. And, and the mindset that comes into trying to prepare for a, a, a massive event that comes around every four years, like the Olympics is sort of requires all your attention or all of your focus. So you mentioned it was a little bit of a, a relief when they actually said, all right, it's been, it's been postponed. But how, do you, how did you find that little time period of just trying to keep the motivation up and, and keep the energy levels high and just sort of roll with the punches until you found out what was going on? Because it's so much energy and time and uh, effort, I guess, just to, to train at the level you need to. Yeah, I think um, I, I actually had like a really difficult year last year with loads of injuries and, and just unforeseen circumstances um like one after the other where you just feel like your luck is just like so bad and you just got to string bad luck um so I think going into this year um I just really took the time to reset and be like actually do you know what I just want to enjoy running and put one foot in front of the other and enjoy running pain-free so going into the start of this year that's kind of just all I was thinking of that was like my goal all the way through I was like actually not even really thinking about the Olympics there's a target I know it's there and um of course it's something that I always wanted to do is become an Olympian but um the main thing that I wanted to do was run pain-free and enjoy my running so I started off the year like really well indoors and actually qualified for the world indoors which were in China um and that was cancelled um so that was like really devastating for me because I've never come out and started a year so like positively indoors um so I think what I took from that and said I was like okay not going to the world indoors but do you know what got so much to look forward to this summer um feeling really good enjoying my running and that is the main thing so I think every time something came up and another little thing got cancelled or like a training camp because we were supposed to be going to heading to altitude and and I had a big kind of plan to head out to the states and race and um 
yeah just just get ready for for trials um every time something got cancelled or I had a little knock I was like do you know what I'm actually just really grateful so I think gratitude is is the thing that is and the fact that my my family are happy and healthy um I haven't been you know seriously impacted by COVID-19 um is the thing that's probably kept me going um and it, although it's difficult to think, oh, actually, my goal's been taken away, it's just actually just a longer a longer run up now. So it's, it's still there, which is nice. Yeah, no, that's a really nice perspective. It's interesting to talk, hear you speak about just the enjoyment that you're trying to find in your running. And I know every athlete, when they go through periods of, of injury and frustration, it can be can be really difficult. But one thing one thing I sort of learned about you pretty quickly as I was trying to you know get a little bit more insight on your, your story, getting ready for today, is I, I think you've got a really awesome reputation for for the joy and and I guess the smiles that you bring to the track and I know that wouldn't be news to you but it's uh I guess to an outsider's perspective to to hear you actually speak about I don't know the struggles and the the difficulties and things it's probably almost a a little bit of a I don't know I guess it would be inspirational hey so there's always a like behind the smiles I guess in a sport like distance running there's always a few struggles and a and a few issues and you mentioned mentioned gratitude is is something that's sort of keeping you inspired and motivated at the moment is that where does the I, I was just interested as a as a spectator um or, or from a I guess a fan's point of view as to like where does this enjoyment or this joy that that just seems to come out so naturally from you when you're when you're running around a track come from is that something that's is that a natural thing is that something that you've you've cultivated or built into yourself over the years because I think it's it's something I really admired and I, and I know from reading comments and just hearing the, you can sort of get a vibe from the interviewers, the people who are speaking to you that you just, they sort of enjoy the process of just being able to have a chat to someone who's enjoying the process and not so uptight and um, the furthest from arrogant, which is refreshing in the scene of running. Is that, is that something that you've had to work hard to get? Um. No, like it, um sorry, oh that gosh, was a big um, that was a big roundabout <laughs> compliment just coded in a question at the end. I hope <laughs> do you even remember the question? Yeah, no, thank you. I I I don't know. I think um I think it's definitely at times where like things have gone wrong and um I've lost that enjoyment factor. I've realized actually that is the thing that makes me run well, makes me um yeah, just get so much more out of myself when I perform. Um, I, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's something that I always go back to, but it's probably something that's always naturally been there. And maybe along the way where I've had injuries and things or difficult circumstances, I've lost touch of that. And that's made me realize actually, um, the key to kind of, you know, performing to the best I can is, is tapping into that enjoyment factor. And, I mean, that comes out in the craziest of ways because um, I, <laughs> I actually, when I'm racing, for some reason, when I hit lactic and it might just, I, I'm sure it's me trying to trick myself into <laughs> thinking that I'm fine. Um, I just start smiling. So it's become a bit of a thing. It's like, you know, I know it's when I'm, when I'm starting to hurt, but everyone else is smiling. You're really loving, you're really loving your racing. So um, yeah, it's quite funny actually. So maybe that maybe that's where it come it comes from, um, but it, it, it's just a natural response to, uh, um, yeah, I guess enjoying the process and and that's and that's how I perform best. That's so funny. I was I had that question for you because I was having a look at your Instagram earlier today and I saw a couple of photos of you in what looked like a race and you were smiling and I was thinking either oh, she's the she's the queen of editing and she's managed to superimpose this smile on her face 
but I've I've run plenty of eight and fifteen hundreds, and I don't think there's any point after about three hundred meters in that I'm I'm willing to smile. So it's a it's a little hack to keep you inspired to to keep getting around, hey. Yeah, I mean, I I can vaguely remember when I was. Um, younger like I used to do karate um I did so many different sports as a kid but um and I remember my sensei saying to me you know when it when it starts to hurt because we used to do all these like um stretches and and I was awful at stretching because I did so much sport my muscles were so tight so he was like when it starts to hurt just smile and you won't even think about it um so I I, I don't know if it's that but it's just kind of I think I'm grimacing in my head um, <laughs> it actually presents as a smile so it's quite funny but um yeah de- definitely I just think um you know loving what you do makes such a difference um I honestly maybe it's just my interpretation of that feeling that you get on race day in terms of nerves and stuff that feeling for me is excitement and I just yeah I, I just love it yeah it's um It'd be intimidating as a as a competitor to look at you six hundred meters into an eight hundred meter race and see you just <laughs> laughing at the situation. Surely that's got to be a good secret weapon. I'm going to be doing my best to to next time I go out for a run with one of my friends. Just at some, st- I haven't run enough the last couple of months, so even on a jog, I find smiling at the moment a little bit difficult. But we'll see. I'm going to try the Adele Tracy maneuver up one of the big hills here in Melbourne and just see if I can't psych out a couple of people. <laughs> it confuses people when you smile, for sure. <laughs> It worked on me. As I said, I thought you were just the best editor in in the UK. <laughs> hey, um, you mentioned you did a heap of sports growing up, and that was one thing I was I was interested in just picking your your brain about. So, um, did you have a did you have a, a background as like a as a sprinter? Because I think the the eight hundred meters is a unique event in the sense that you have a couple of fifteen hundred meter athletes who who can come down and double up nicely, and there's also that unique athlete who can start as a as a four hundred meter athlete and sort of double up pretty well. Which side of the fence did you come from, or how did you how did you start to find your form around the eight hundred? So I, it's a funny one because I think when you're a kid you do everything, and um, I used to do a lot of cross country at school, and um, then when I joined my local athletics club, um, I'm still with actually, um, I just got you know they throw everything at you and you just go and enjoy it and you just see what you can do and what you're good at um and I could cope over the longer stuff but it just wasn't didn't come naturally to me but I was always really naturally quick um and I my coach would you know I'd go to a a meet on a Saturday and I'd do the 200 meters I'd do a 400 meters and I might do a 1500 meters as well (laughs) so it was kind of like just uh finding your feet almost when you're younger um, and then I remember doing a 600 and just feeling like it was like the right distance for me, you know, when you're just running and you're like, okay, that wasn't so bad, actually. Like I could run quick, but um, it wasn't too long. Um, so yeah, my coach back then was, was like, I think you're, I think you're a middle distance runner, Adele. So we, we, yeah, we had a go at some 800s in the next couple of years and it just seemed to be the event for me. But I always had alongside my 800s. Uh, 400 so I ran like 400 meters up until I think university pretty much um, and it's not something I ever trained specifically for um, but I know from the training that I do now um, my speed is something that's always been there and you kind of don't necessarily improve that but it was always really good and then I've had to work so hard at the aerobic stuff so like the actual <laughs> endurance is something I have to work really really hard at so um I would say probably I'm probably naturally more speed orientated. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. It, it is. It's really interesting because um, I know I don't know if you've heard of like the the Peter Snells who are from New Zealand back in the day. He was a I think he was an 800 meter world record holder at some stage, and I know he came from a like a really heavy aerobic base through winter, and then started to refine his speed. But then there's there's so many examples of uh, sort of where you're coming from that sprinter who steps their way up and has to struggle through the aerobic work to try and get around the track for a couple of laps, which you sort of touched on when you say that 600s the like the hot event for you. It's a pretty good sign that that's the that's the <laughs> sort of group that you're in. But what what does your training look like now? It's um. It, how do you balance that need for speed and the, uh, and I guess also that need for for endurance? So it's changed loads over the last couple of years. So when I first joined my my coach Craig Wimro, um, I didn't do very many miles, and if I did, I got injured very quickly because um, I guess I just didn't have the strength, or um, I'd never really done that much conditioning. And actually, I still feel like I'm quite new to strength and conditioning, so it's it's a bit of a funny one, but um. I, yeah, just really slowly built the miles. Like, I mean, over the last seven years, we've probably like only increased by like five miles each year, like in terms of the actual overall mileage. But um, I, I, I'd like to say that um, I do quite a bit of mileage now. I'd, I'd say like in the winter, I would get up to like 65 miles a week. Gee, um, wait, I'm just trying to do the conversion there. What's that like in uh, kilometers? Oh, like 90, 90. No, no, this is good for my math skills coming out. I'm thinking, I think most of the listeners are, are from America anyway. So there's a, I'm just trying to do the conversions for Aussies. Um, about 90, 90 kilometers, eh? Hey? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I put so. you on my the spot now. Don't <laughs> no, no. So. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna take that. And it's way better than 65 miles, wasn't it? Maybe I should it's start way working. Better. Way better. Um, yeah. So I. I definitely feel like that's something that I've worked so hard over the years to just be able to tolerate miles almost. Um, so in the winter, obviously, you know, my week looks very, very different to the kind of my spring. Um, and I probably do quite a lot of reps in the park. Um, you know, anywhere from a minute up to like five minutes um, of efforts. And then I do quite a lot of hill sessions. So I love hills. They're literally my favourite thing. I think even when I'm not an athlete anymore, I'll still do hills. <laughs> about hills, um, which my, my training group think I'm absolutely mental for. But um, yeah, so like do quite a lot of hill reps. Um, and then we just introduce a little bit of track in the winter, but it's mainly like sort of afternoon speed rather than a, you know, a, um, a sort of faster session. And we'd probably do more longer reps on the track if we were on the track just to keep in touch with that a little bit. Um, and then I do S&C maybe three times a week. Yeah, okay. And is the, is the strength and conditioning part of it, is that all through the year or that's pretty much just in the winter? Yeah, so like um, strength and conditioning stays the same all through the year. So like... Obviously, when I'm racing, it might drop down to two, twice a week. Um, but I also keep like sort of little mobility and um, we call it like prehab uh, bits kind of around that as well, just to maintain um, little areas that I know I have to keep um, stiff and things like that. So, yeah, what kind of what kind of mobility are you doing? Like, so it's it's funny actually. Like, the more people I speak to, I feel like there's a a big awareness amongst the audience that. Um, strength and conditioning is is also an important part of running which for new athletes I think is quite surprising a lot of new athletes think oh you know as long as I if if I can start running more and start running more consistently it's obviously a big part but I think a lot of people think I'm not trying to be a bodybuilder I'm not trying to put on too much weight so the strength part is a is news to them but the the prehab is is also interesting I was speaking to Ryan Gregson about this and his name came up a a few times amongst a couple of athletes just that that's one thing he's 
he's really focused on. Just as a bloke who um, has had a little bit of trouble with injury himself over the last few years, he felt that it was an area that he, he really needed to invest more in just to make sure when he was going out for a run, he was a bit more supple, a bit more loose. Is, is that like a particular program or are there particular exercises that you do consistently to target uh, certain potential weak points or is, is that just something that comes spontaneously? Um, no, yeah, so I, I, yeah, I always keep um, in touch with certain things like in my mobility all throughout the year. Um, for me, I've got a bit of a laxity of stiffness on one side of my ankle. And I don't know if that's just from years of running around the track um, or just me. But um, I, I try and keep that really stiff because it's really important for like power. And um, and also it just kind of is a good thing to do. I think I think a lot of athletes kind of go like ankle and foot, just keeping that stiffness there or um, is a good thing to maintain. So I do a lot of sort of like band work um inversions and inversions with my feet um a lot of like isos and um calf raises um and sort of like foot and ankle sort of taps and and drills and stuff so that's something that i would keep in all year round um and i'd also really like hone in on like glute circuits and lower abdominal core um so those are things that are always there and then i'd always have like a bit of a stretch um and I kind of like to do yoga because I get really bored of stretching yes. <laughs> I'll be stretching for like five minutes and I'll kind of <laughs> my mind is so, um I kind of try and tie that in with yoga because I'm following a routine and watching someone else do it I feel like I'm a lot more uh, engaged so and that's something that I always do as well but the S&C is mainly the thing that changes um my mobility is pretty much the same all year round yeah yeah, who are you? Uh, who are you following? Are you at a, a yoga class or are you doing something online? Oh, do you know what? Actually, um, so Amanda Brisk, I think she's a Australian pole vaulter, maybe. Yes, um, I know that there. name. I, I feel like I know that name. Yeah, she's she's big on Instagram, but she's got amazing flows and stuff. So I really like doing them, and I feel like because she was an athlete as well, they're like kind of more specific to to runners and stuff. So um, I really like her, and then. There's um, another girl, a British athlete, she's a sprinter called uh, Lena Nielsen, and um, she's a trained yoga instructor. So I, I, I join in on her, her uh, flows and IGTVs and stuff. So Oh, how good is that? You know when someone starts usually just casually that you join in with her flows, that they're really into the yoga scene? <laughs> is that, do they post that just on Instagram or is that on YouTube they put it up? Because I'm going to have to – I feel like I'm on the bandwagon at this point because I'm all over yoga with Adrian. Um, and I thought, I thought for a moment you might have dropped her name, and I would have had so much in common with you because I always tease my wife that she's my other, like she's my YouTube girlfriend. Um, oh my god! <laughs> but I've started, I've started trying to. There's this American bloke who, from like the '90s, was a was a gun, and he's super quirky. He's like a Lululemon ambassador now called Baron Baptiste. Okay, and cool. If you, he's he's super corny, and he comes out with the corniest one lines, but I. I've got a bit of a man crush on him. I really like him. So just to throw one back at you, I'm going to check out these two girls that you mentioned. You've got to check out Baron Baptiste. Don't judge me if you don't like it. It was someone else's recommendation. But if you like him, no worries. <laughs> oh, 100%. No, definitely. I'm always looking for, like, you know, different different things. So that's that's really cool. <laughs> Are there any other little quirky things like that? So uh, yoga's, uh, especially here in Melbourne, like the fact that I'm interested in it as a 33-year-old bloke is so random to me like 10 years if you had told me I'd be doing yoga and loving it it would have been 
something that I was so embarrassed about. But I drop it into conversation as often as I can now because it's like a bragging point. It's almost like a, hey, I drink, I drink a soy flat white and I do yoga. No worries. <laughs> Are there other things like that that you put into your program or is that the, is that sort of, it's not even left of centre anymore, is it? It's quite standard in the, in the fitness world, the yoga scene. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't really think of anything else. Like if I, I do cross train, um, I'd say if I couldn't quite get up to the miles that we were hoping to, you know, in a week in the winter, um, I would definitely cross train probably on the elliptical um, or bike. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Like I think yoga fits in quite well with running. So that's probably why it's been like a kind of natural thing to, to just build into my week. Yeah, Eddie, it's a lot more exciting than uh, than stretching. I agree. I agree. And there's so many. Uh, I got so caught up on the yoga with Adrian bandwagon that I didn't realize that there were so many options. So I think I I think I kept talking over my question to you as to where the girls post their their workouts. Did you say it was YouTube or Instagram? Oh, um, Instagram. So so the ones that I follow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, on IGTV. So, like, ah, it's basically like YouTube. Yeah, so, like, a lot of the time there'll be, like, lives. Um, so I'll join in with the live and then I'll just watch it back on IGTV and just do it again. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Now, that's so good. Now, IGTV is handy like that. It gives you an opportunity to jump back on. Hey, I, um, I wanted to ask you, so at the moment, it's a, you'd usually be smack bang in the middle of your track season or getting ready to uh, really ramp things up in terms of racing. What is... What is uh, what are we in now? What does May look like at, at this point in time? Because obviously there's there's still plenty of questions about when the tracks are going to reopen and when you guys are going to get to race again. Are you in like a, a winter phase of training at the moment or, or how are you structuring things? So, yeah, it's kind of all a little bit up in the air and I think I've just kind of been taking each day at a time because I think yeah. it's so easy to get carried away and like think too far ahead, especially when you, you don't know what's going to happen. But um, I thought it was really exciting to see some of the Diamond League races are scheduled. Um, so that looks really optimistic. And at the moment, we still have British Championships at the beginning of August. Um, I'm realistic and I feel like there's a lot of things that maybe need to happen before, you know, we can have that sort of scenario um but it's nice to know that you know you're working towards some something um so i'm yeah in a bit of a kind of um block of more mileage um but we're trying to just keep in touch with some quicker stuff so i haven't been able to get on a track yet although i'm seeing a couple of people um getting on them so i'm gonna see um we're heading back to london on friday actually so we're gonna try and see if we can get on a track uh, next week but um we've just kind of been keeping in touch with that by just mimicking sessions that i would do on the track in you know minute reps or hill sessions um you know short recovery that sort of thing so um i've been able to get a bit of a burn on um without being on the track which has been cool and and we kind of did a similar thing actually in january i went to kenya and our students sorry no, you're fine. You're fine. You could have just blamed um, me. That's my technology skills. I would have just assumed it was something I'd done wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so yeah, we like we. I had like a completely different preparation when I was out there. I think um, we just were trying to work long term because we obviously thought we were preparing for um, the Olympics um, this summer, hopefully. So, um, I didn't really do too, too many track sessions and came out pretty fit and and ran two minutes. So, um, I'm hoping. <laughs> not being on the track doesn't matter too much now so 
Um, but I'd like to do a few more 1500s this summer. I've kind of chatted to my coach and I think because obviously um, the qualifying standards don't uh, count this year, um, it would just be nice to learn how to run 1500s because sometimes I'll, I'll do a mile or I'll run a 1500 just like once or twice in a season. Um, but I never really learn how to race them because um, it's kind of like a time trial situation or, um, yeah. So I think it would be nice to, to run a couple of them off a bit more miles might might feel a bit better than, you know, off my speedy 800 work. <laughs> well, it'd be nice. I always think for someone who comes to a 1500 with like the speed that you've got over eight, you could come in with so much confidence. But I guess uh, is that something... Uh, 1500 I know it's such a unique event when you're when you're used just to running a couple of laps of the track just to try and step up and maneuver it and uh, another thing I was chatting with with uh, Ryan Gregson about a, a little while ago he was saying that it is it can be it can be such a hit and miss event where like you said if you're, you're not in the perfect race with the sort of perfect pacing it's, it doesn't really give you an awesome accurate representation of of where you're at so like the next 12 months or so you're, you're going to start hitting that up a little bit more well, yeah, I think that's a nice thing about this season. It's like you can experiment a little bit more and um, everyone's starting from a different place. And it's kind of, yeah, I think if there is races that go ahead, it would be really cool to just kind of explore. Um, yeah, a couple of 1500s. I'm definitely not moving up. No, 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 uh, <laughs> no. Here, but um, it would just be fun to kind of explore that because, like, when I have done them, it's been such a shock to the system. Oh. Um, it would be cool to kind of try it off a bit more mileage and see how it feels. I tell you what, spending some time with the Kenyans would have given you a little bit of inspiration for the aerobic stuff. Would it? Tell me about how was Kenya? Where were you? Like, what were you? What were you doing over there? So. I, this was actually my, um, I think my fifth or sixth time I'd been to oh, Kenya. So jealous. Yeah, I absolutely love it there. I think um, it's just really peaceful and it's just everything is stripped back. It's really basic, but um, it just kind of, it kind of feels like a bit of an eat, pray, love scenario where you can just <laughs> read and run and just keep life simple. So I absolutely love it. And um, the Kenyans are so friendly and kind. So it's a really nice environment to be in. Um, but yeah, it's very, it's very, um, cause for me, like when I'm at home, I'm, I'm quite busy and I'm, I'm kind of all over the place and I like to, you know, work one day a week, um, and just keep myself like distracted almost. Um, I quite enjoy that side of things. So like it is quite a nice time to just actually have a bit of a break and collect myself and focus on running a bit more, uh, focus on those 1%, like making sure like everything's you know I'm stretching and rolling all the time and, and just keeping myself in good nick so and um, that's what I love about training camps actually is just um having that time to kind of be a bit more professional and and work on those one percent so how long did you say you were there for I was there for a, a month I think or three and a half weeks um yeah so yeah it was, it was amazing I love it and it's, it's quite high actually it's, it's eight thousand feet so um and we stay in a 10 so it's it's actually called the Homer Champions. So oh. it's very, you know, all around learning. Um, so it's just incredible routes. Like there's nowhere else I've been in the world, actually, apart from Teddington. <laughs> where <laughs> you can run from the door in, and do so many different loops. Like normally you have to drive a little bit to get somewhere where, you know, you can run for a good amount of time or it's an out and back, but you can just do so many incredible loops and um, it's just beautiful. I love it. Yeah, so who do you line that up with? Because it's it's honestly it's on the bucket list of of places I've I've got to go. Like a, 
we've we've done a little bit around Europe as I as I mentioned, and I would love to also see Japan, which I haven't been to. But uh, but right next to these places is is Kenya and Ethiopia. Uh, I'd love to go to Tan. There's just Africa. Just it's got that appeal to me. Like you said, I I get the vibe from sort of the Kenyans that I've spoken to over time that things are just a little bit more chilled out. They they come across as as super friendly and to spend time in a place like which is titled the home of champions. How much more inspirational can can you get? Is it? I've seen photos of it. Are there? Is it like what the photos look like? There's just hundreds of athletes each morning getting out running together. What's yeah, the, what's so, the story um, there? We always stay at um, Lorna's um, High Altitude Training Centre, and that's where like British Athletics have gone for years, and London Marathon has kind of um, been very involved with that as well. Um, but. Um, so we normally do kind of our own thing, like in terms of like routine, because it can be a little bit um, different because a lot of the Kenyans will get up at 6 a.m. and go for their run, um, which, you know, <laughs> not, it's not what I would normally do at home. So um, we try and like stick to our routine, but there is the opportunity to do a Kenyan fart look, And um, there is literally probably about 60 athletes that gather and they do this route all through the Rift Valley. And it's just, yeah, amazing to watch because we we will normally be heading out for our session just as they're finishing. So I've never joined in myself, but um, yeah, I would love to do it because it would just be incredible to kind of, yeah, be a part of that situation. But um, they are moving. They are moving really fast when you see them doing this part. Like, so I'm not sure I'd be able to keep up, to be honest. <laughs> Could be, hey, nail that 1500 first and then go back next season, show them how it's done, do you reckon? What's it called? The Kenyan Fartlek. Yeah, yeah. What are they, so do you know they what the session is? Um, I actually don't. I'm sure I'd be able to find out because I'm sure over the years, whenever we've gone with British Athletics, somebody else, somebody's um, gone and done it from the camp. So um, I'm sure I'd be able to find out. Um, and you you get people who go there for a couple of months and really hone in and focus on your marathon prep and things like that. So I'm sure um, it would be easy to find out. But um yeah, it looks it looks tough. <laughs> yeah, I could be massively stereotyping just based on the books that I've read going back to like the early nineties. But is it a is it still like a really basic uh, diet? And what do they call it? Like ugali, their their oats, their their high carb meal. Like, what does the diet look like for you when you get there? I can imagine from a Western diet, it might be a a little bit of a change in the in a place like Iten. Yeah, I mean. I think for me it might be a little bit more challenging because I'm vegetarian um I just have been all my life so whenever I go there I just come with like a big suitcase of food <laughs> um, just to make sure I get enough protein and recovery and stuff um but they yeah they have your ugali which is like maize and water um they have kale and like it's normally shredded um which is actually quite nice um, and then they normally do that with some sort of stew. So a lot of the time it's a beef stew or a goat stew. Um, and that is their traditional sort of um, meal that they would have. And we have that a lot at, at Lorna's camp. Um, but I would normally, instead of the beef stew, I'd normally have an <laughs> omelette or some lentils. So. Yes. Yeah, beautiful. I'm laughing because um, I'm trying to remember the athlete. I think it was actually Asphalt Kiprop was in Melbourne years ago um, before all the controversy sort of came down around around him but I remember there was a Q&A here in Melbourne and uh, I've got a good mate who's who's Sudanese and uh, at the end of at the end of the the like the Q&A Aspel Kiprop pulled my mate aside and they were just speaking about like their local cuisines and uh, Dua is my friend's name and uh, and Aspel was speaking about how the prize part 
of like a lamb was I'm a vegetarian as well. So this is coming from a nice place. I wouldn't eat it. But he was celebrating the fact that uh, is it the he's like their their go to or the most celebrated part of their meal was was like a liver or a um a kidney or something which they would just eat raw. And I almost started crying, not because it sounded cruel, but just because it sounded so disgusting. I couldn't have it without like salt and pepper and sauce and lightly fried. And these guys were just speaking about it like it was such a delicacy. So every time someone says Kenya and diet, Aspel Kiprop pops into my head. So omelettes sound so much more nice, so much nicer than whatever these boys have painted in my mind. Yeah, no, hundred <laughs> percent. Like I think that is like the only thing that is a challenge is is the food. It's just very different to what we're used to. <laughs> I've been known to quite often go up to um so there's this nice place like quite close by called Carrier View and it's like a little bit of a hotel and it's got a beautiful uh, viewpoint but they do sort of more western food so you can get chips and you can get this thing called a momlet where it's um chapatis omelet and then chapatis underneath so it's like a kind of like pancake together Wait, what's um, a chapati? They call it a because, uh chapati is like um oh it's kind of like pancake, but it's more bready, and um, I think they fry it, so it's like a little bit crispy as well. It's really good. Yeah. All right. I'll Google it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've been known to go for a mumlet. <laughs> nice. Nice. I wanted to ask you, I know we've, we've got about 15 minutes left, or, or so I don't want to hold you up for the rest of your day, but I, I see you, and actually I'm, I'm disappointed with my setup at the moment because you look like you've got some good light coming in there. I, I've got a tomato head. My face looks red. I should have lifted my game knowing you come from the makeup scene and you're probably judging my appearance, which I am right now. I can't blame you. Um, no, what, no, no, you can say no. You can say no, but I know that I would never admit that I was doing something like that either. So um, I'm just going to put it down to this artificial light. Usually my head's not this orange, but I need to speak <laughs> to you a little bit about your your, your makeup. You, you said you're doing a, a day a week of work. Is that with your own company? Um, yeah, so... I went to uh, the Arts University of Bournemouth and studied uh, makeup and prosthetics. And like originally I wanted to do more sort of prosthetics work. Um, I worked a little bit on, I don't know if you guys um, have heard of Doctor Who and Top Gear. Yes, yes I have. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm, I can speak on behalf of most Australians. No, I think I, I couldn't tell you what happens in either of those shows, but I'm pretty sure people are going to be able to relate to who you're speaking about. Yeah, so I, I did a little bit of a work at um, a warehouse called Millennium Effects where they do like loads of sort of um, prosthetics for film and TV. Um, and we worked on on some Cybermen for Doctor Who and I made some pumpkin heads for Top Gear episode where that kind of had to go over the, the uh, cyclists, I think they were um, cyclists' he- helmets. Um, so that was really cool and I kind of, I enjoy um, making and that sort of hands-on approach and just being artistic. Um, so that's kind of the direction that I started in and then obviously when I decided to be to London and kind of be um, more involved with my coach I knew that um, I wasn't going to be able to work those kind of hours it's like 12 hour days like you you just have no routine and you might be on set and um, it's just very your life is that industry so I thought um, I started assisting loads of artists in like fashion and sort of more um, that kind of industry, more beauty industry, um, to just get experience so that I could work more in London. Um, so yeah, like now I, I go into London maybe um, once or twice a month, depending on um, kind of how my week pans out, but I'll normally kind of angle it on a rest day. Um, uh, yeah, because my coach kind of <laughs> doesn't like it too much when I move my week around too, too much. So, um, <laughs> 
I, I, um, I try and always make sure it's on a rest day and I'll, I'll go and work on a shoot for a couple of hours. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, I just love it. I, I really enjoy just, you know, kind of immersing myself creatively and, and being able to, I don't know, switch off a little bit. Like it's completely different to, to athletics in the running world. So it's quite refreshing to do something a bit different every now and again. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. That's not so. Did you say when you're going into London, you're still? Did you say you're working on set with the the shows that you mentioned before? I don't know if they're still going now. I'm going to look silly. I don't know. Yeah, if they're still, they're still going. Yeah, but I know. So I do like more sort of like um, fashion shoots and stuff because it's like ah, a one day thing. Sure, you know, that sure, that's sure. With my um, so yeah, it's nice because I've I've done all that stuff that um you know maybe later on after running I would go back to sort of more industry work, but um. Yeah, I quite enjoy like the fashion and beauty stuff. I think it's it's quite nice to to work with a team and, and meet new people. And um, yeah, I love working with with a new team every time. So it's cool. Yeah, it's nice as well. Like the running world, you have when you when you're doing it full time, it's a you've got so much spare time. That uh, have you ever heard of Lee Lee Troop? He was an Australian marathon runner uh, years and years ago. He'd run like a, a two hundred nine marathon. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not expecting you to have, but he he lives over in. Um, that's not a, if he's listening, I, I take that back. I can't believe you haven't heard his name, Adele. He's a really big deal, lovely guy, super good looking. Um, <laughs> he lives in Boulder at the moment. And one of the things he said to me was, because uh, there's another Australian marathon runner who's working a full-time job, training full-time. And I said, mate, like, it's it's crazy how well this guy's running. And he said, yeah, but the truth is there's, until the 80s, that was sort of the way that, that things were. People were training full-time, running full-time and, he goes, you, you don't have to look far to see how much spare time athletes have on their hands now. So he he's a really big fan of um, athletes having something to be able to commit time outside of their running to, like uh, you know, like what you're doing with your makeup in order to just take their mind off it and switch off. And is is that something that um, has has maybe inspired you to to stick with it even through your competition, or is it just something you love so much that you'd probably be doing it even if it was a little bit of a you know, a little bit of something that brought on some tide and that's what's the, did that make sense? I'm still learning how to ask questions, Adele, so you're going to have to forgive me. No, this is a really good question. Good. Um, I, I was confident. I don't know why I threw that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think a bit of both, to be honest. Um, I really, I just think I've always been someone who's had other things going on around athletics. It's always been there um, and I've always wanted to apply myself to it fully, but I, you know, I've always had things going on in the background. So um it just feels I have tried um you know going a couple of months you know just applying myself as I think you don't want to go on a training camp that's like why I like the contrast and I like to to kind of do all those little things and rest and nap um but I think I'm just naturally um drawn to to interacting and and being I don't know creative and stuff so um I think you know, I can only do that for a short period of time before I'm like, actually, do you know what? I actually think it's really refreshing to go and, and have a day at work and yeah. and do something different and then come back feeling refreshed and, and wanting to apply myself fully. So, um, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think, you know, that can be a really useful thing. And sometimes I'm, I'm not someone to, I, I'm really bad at sitting down and resting and watching a box set. Like I have to do it with <laughs> other people. Otherwise yeah. I just don't, I, I just can't concentrate. I want to go do something else. Um, so. <laughs> I just think I'm not a natural athlete in that sense. I'm not, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That made, you sound a lot like me when you explain that. I, uh, my wife's always like, babe, can you just sit down? Like I'm trying to relax a little bit. I'm on the phone and watching. <laughs> hey, um, oh, I, had a, I had a 
a banger of a question lined up for you, though, and it slipped. Um, I'm, I, I've become the king editor, so no one will have any idea that this even ha- – that's not true. I'm just going to leave it in because it, it teaches me to learn really quickly. Um, oh, the, what, what else are you doing on the – like when you're, not, when you're not on the track, when you're not training, when you're not make, doing your makeup or traveling around, like what, what do you do in your downtime? What else – is there any downtime? Like what do you – in the life of a professional yeah. athlete, I'm just assuming there's a little bit. I um, – do you know what? I've actually had a bit of a – a crazy day and I'll say why because um I, so I was going to say my pet tortoise beans I have um a pet tortoise because my boyfriend's allergic to cats <laughs> oh and dogs and I'm allergic to cats so we thought okay let's go for a furless pet and he's so low maintenance and just I just never thought a tortoise would have such an amazing character and I literally just love him anyway <laughs> in the last 72 hours he actually escaped and went missing. Um, so he's predominantly a house tortoise and we don't really have him outside at all uh, because obviously we live in a flat um, just on the outside of London. But we've been in Gloucestershire and we've got this amazing countryside and we thought it'd be so fun for him to like explore a little bit. So we always try and watch him um, outside. But he managed to escape and he's obviously just been enjoying the outdoors way too much. Um <laughs> And just like the last couple of days, he went missing and we have been searching high and low. We've been um, just outside constantly, just putting out little bits of pepper to see if he would come back. Um, it's like actually comical thinking about it now, but like, I was so distracted by like losing him because he literally just, I love him. Um, I think I love him now. Morning, yeah, and then this morning, so like three days later, um, I got a phone call because we put up missing posters <laughs> to see if <laughs> anyone would would find him. And then we find out that he's literally been a mile away at a farm down the road. And this lady called us and said that we, f- we found him yesterday afternoon. He was in the middle of the road, just wandering mm. around um, and took him back. And then we went to walk the dogs later on and saw your posters um, so I thought I'd call you, call you to, do you want me to bring him up? And I couldn't believe it. Cause honestly, I didn't think you was going to see him again. Oh. And, um, I was so upset and, and today it's my birthday today actually. So. Hey, happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. And I was like, this is literally the best present anyone could have given me. So <laughs> that's what I like to do in my spare time. I'm a tortoise enthusiast and I absolutely just like, I just love chilling with my tortoise. Oh, that is so fun. I did not. I'm so glad I asked that question. And it's because of those answers that I love asking these questions. And I'm so glad you found him. But I, I just think the irony of an 800 metre Olympic, uh, 800 metre professional athlete, like losing a tortoise, just makes such a good article that I almost, I'm glad for your sake that you found him. But for the rest of the people who would have had a chance to read that article, tiny bit disappointed. <laughs> I know it's kind of ironic that I have such a slow pet but he can move the fact that he got a mile away in three days I was thinking that (laughs) That, so what do you do with a tortoise like what do you because I I like you didn't think a tortoise would have character like you can't can't throw a ball to it can you I don't know much about tortoises no yeah but he's amazing like he loves to climb so I'll find him in the most crazy places and I'll be like how did you get up there um he can quite climb really high um and he really just really like he likes a bath we put him in the bath and soak him that's how they get hydrated ah. that's so much about horses, especially in the last uh, <laughs> 72 hours when he's been missing been oh, to learn. what a relief 
Yeah. So, yeah, he's actually really fun. He's got a great character, which I never thought I would say about a tortoise. Um, but, yeah, he's a great pet. <laughs> How big is he? How big do tortoises get? Um, he's about that big. So, like, um, he's only five, so he's quite small. But he's um, about the size of, like, a small dish or um, a tea tea plate. <laughs> yeah, and, what, and they live to like 450, don't they? What's the story with tortoises? Are they the ones who live really old or is that a turtle? Yeah, no, he actually, so they, his breed, so he's a horse-built tortoise and, and he lives, I think, to 80. So, I mean, he's probably going to outlive me, but he, yeah, it's a big commitment. It's a big commitment, but it's worth it. He's great. <laughs> that is so good. That is awesome. I'm, um, I'm looking at the clock. I'm going to I'm going to let you go. I honestly I feel like we've just unwrapped a can of worms that I could I could spend two it's a different podcast, isn't it? Talking about tortoises, but I'd be I'd <laughs> happily do it. We'll have to do a round two at some stage if you're up for it. Hopefully maybe after the Olympics when you come back. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Mm-hmm.